Today, we take apart the gadgets in the two Timothy Dalton James Bond movies, The Living Daylights, 1987, and License to Kill, 1989. Hi, this is Dan. And Tom. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Your spy movie team bringing you the best coverage of spy movies in the world for almost five years. Gadgets are always a part of a James Bond movie, always fascinating us as to what they will do, how they will work, and if they are believable. All right, so here we go. Timothy Dalton's first Bond movie, The Living Daylights, is where we're going to start. And there are some fun gadgets in this one. Yeah, there are, but this is a Timothy Dalton movie. Yeah. And Dalton reshaped what we think of as the on-screen Bond. He brought it back closer to Fleming's Bond. That's true. So he's more stoic or serious. And the gadgets were mainly done for the movies, not taken from the novels. That's true. So, but you will see things like we're going to talk about the cello case in a little bit where <laughs> they're adapting something that's real, turning yeah. it into a gadget in real time. So yeah. Dalton doesn't pull out a lot of high tech gadgets. No, there's so, some cool ones in here though. There are. Yeah. Thanks to Q. The living daylights. Here we go. All right. Let's start with the keychain that responds to bond whistling rule Britannia by releasing a gas that stunned the enemy. This was a cool device, and Bond used it, of course. It could also set off a small explosion if it sensed a wolf whistle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that's a nice little touch. Yeah, you got to have a multitasker. <laughs> and if you weren't releasing a gas that disorient your enemy or causing a small explosion, you can use it as a lockpick. Whoa, <laughs> one little device. This is fantastic. It worked on most of the locks in the world, Q said, 90% of them. Bond uses it to escape from prison in the Afghan Soviet army base and to kill Whittaker later in Morocco. And bringing some reality to it, this keychain actually was based on a real Phillips Keyfinder keychain. So there you go. It was a real keychain. It, it really was stuff in real life, but it, it really was. I mean, it wasn't, if you know who Alton Braun is, the, the guy on the cooking yeah, shows, cooking right? Shows, yeah. You know, he talks about, you want multitaskers, not unitaskers. And this is a beautiful <laughs> multitasking yeah. gadget. Yeah. And I really liked it because it was so simple, but mm. very believable. Yeah. Very you, believable. I could absolutely see you'd be able to do something like that. Yeah. All right. So that one is, is cool, believable. And, I'm going to say cool again, because now we're going to move to something a little more mundane. Oops. Binoculars. Oh, yeah, <laughs> binoculars. Yeah, so yeah. there's binoculars in this thing. I guess they're a gadget, right? And Yeah. And binoculars have been around since, like, the 1600s. <laughs> yeah. Electronic binoculars are a more recent invention. But some version of them existed, we're sure, for the military, at least back in the 1980s, these electronic ones. Oh, yeah. So here, they're not as exciting but they do their job as any good gadget should. Yeah, I mean, by 1980s, well, this is 1987, so I mean, they're using kind of a kind of a current gadget, which is neat. Yeah, you know, yeah, they're not thrilling, especially looking now back and saying, oh, "Wow, electronic <laughs> binoculars, oh boy!" Or they got binoculars now that'll take you know digital photos and zoom and I mean, that's fantastic stuff. But <laughs> but it's a nice little gadget. It is All a nice little gadget. Night vision devices here were used in the living daylights, and also we see them appear again in Die Another Day. Night vision devices, though, were invented by the Germans in the 1930s, 
and they were actually used in World War II. So, yeah, we can see this as real, day or night, that this night vision stuff can really work. It has been around for a long time. So, okay. Yeah, using there binoculars and night vision goggles definitely help you see things better. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, so Bye. next one up, I think we probably want to talk about, uh, is he a henchman or a villain? I don't even know, Necros? Necros uh, is, uh, he's a, I think he's a henchman, but he's, yeah. I, I, you know, he's such a big henchman, I think he's yeah. a villain. Yeah, so, and we love Necros, right? Yeah. And he uses a Garrett on the Milkman. And we saw a Garrett in From Russia With Love. Yeah, and if we remember know. also, as Necros is trying to extract General Koskov from the safe house, he takes what appears to be like headphones, an ear-mounted listening device, yeah. and he uses that as a garret, which he uses to strangle the milkman. Yeah. yeah. And then he gets that guy's cart or the van or whatever you want to call that thing. And so it was a brilliant move because he took this thing, there's no noise to it, and then he pretends to be the milkman to gain access into the Bladen safe house. And then he uses it again as a garret to kill this kitchen security staff member. Yes, I mean, he so. Does. So it's really good. And again, I love the fact that it's a fairly low-tech gadget and it makes no noise. I mean, yeah. unless the person screams. So, yeah, yeah. and we saw it in From Rush With Love when Grant tried to use it, but then Bond used it to kill Grant. Yeah, so he yeah. turned the tables on him. So, of course, this is a totally believable device. You know, really any type of a it in use. strong thing can, can be used as one. Yeah, it's been around for a long time, the Garrett. And look, in the kitchen fight scene that you're talking about here where he does strangle the guy with the Garrett, they use a little Hitchcock stuff here. Hitchcock always liked to use the materials that were around in the scene. So in this fight scene, too, they used the frying pan, they used the boiling water, they used the stuff that was in the kitchen. I really like that because it really was a little, not to Hitchcock, really, using the stuff that is around in the scene as part of the fight. That I like more than the, the Garrett. Well, yeah, and, and yeah, like you say, you see that in Hitchcock with, was it Topaz or Turn Curtain? I don't remember where they, they kill the guy in the kitchen. Yeah. By, and they end up sticking his head in the, the oven, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's just, you got to like that kind torn of stuff. Curtain. Yeah. Yeah, torn curtain. So uh, you, so, you got to like taking real type stuff yeah. and using them. And we're going to talk about one very of those in a little bit. That is yeah. a very big use of that. All right, let's, let's stick with Necros because he, he's fantastic. We would love to interview Andreas Wisniewski. He's one of the best henchmen villains in a Bond movie. Terrific guy. And he was also uh, in Mission Impossible. Yeah, right. All right. So sticking with Necros here, he uses the special Milkman milk bottles <laughs> as explosive <laughs> devices too here. So he's not throwing milk bottles. He's throwing grenade-like milk bottles. Yes. And, uh, and, and he takes control of the safe house and extracts Koskov. This was very believable device, and it's like a Molotov cocktail, right? Boom. Yeah, there and I, I love those things. I mean, they were totally cool. They were very stealthy. Used because perfectly in the movie. they look just like a milk, like a milk bottle. Yeah. And boy, did they serve a nice purpose. Now they actually filmed it at the Stoner House in uh, North of London, and it's a historic place. You can go see it. We've been there. Tom and I have been to this location. Fantastic. You'll see all the scenes they they shot from the outside. The interior shots were not were done elsewhere. But they actually blew out the windows of this building. But of course, they didn't want to blow out the historical windows. They removed all the historical windows, put in the fake windows that they wanted to blow out, and then blew out the windows from the building. So all that stuff is cool. And he did it with these grenade-like 
explosive devices that look like milk bottles. Great device. Great gadget. Yeah, absolutely. And when they were blowing things up when they were doing this, they made a lot of noise. Because one of the things about when we went to Stoner House that blew my mind, I don't know if you remember that herd of deer. Yeah. There was yeah. just a huge number of deers running across the field. Yeah. With these things blowing up, they, w- they wouldn't have been there. But here in the U.S., when you know, at least especially living in the Chicago area like we do, we see a deer, you might see two or three deer, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. here, this thing, there were at least 50 of them in this pack, if not 100. Yeah, yeah, so, there were a ton there. And, but, and, uh, and to go back to the scene again in the movie, because these, these little grenade things, these little milk bottle grenades, I first, I first thought they were concussion grenades, which are designed to produce a flash of light to disorient you and a loud sound, like 160, 180 decibels, which can cause temporary blindness, temporary loss of hearing and loss of balance, all that kind of stuff. As well as a sense of panic, of course, because things are going on. It's like, holy geez, explosions. But <laughs> if it happens to land next to you, it could kill you. So, but we, we see when he tosses it on the stairway that it, it does explode and lots of debris is raining down and the windows are getting blown out, like we mentioned. So they may have been more like traditional grenades here. And uh, we can't verify for sure. These were probably based on a World War II German hand grenade. Model 24, we looked this kind of stuff up. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, gotta get the model number, Dan. The potato masher, which had an explosive device at the end of a wooden handle, so it could be thrown over 30 yards versus a pineapple-type MK2 grenade that can be thrown only maybe like 15 yards. The German Model 24 grenade was called a potato masher by the Brits and the Allies because it resembled a kitchen gadget used to mash real potatoes. Though we can be blinded by the light, <laughs> we believe in this oh, gadget. God, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Now, although I actually think it looked more, I mean, it was made to look like a milk bottle, not yes. a potato masher, but it's a no. really good device. But based on that, yeah. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to move to another fairly mundane type device, or a mundane gadget, if you will, and I'll put that word in quotes here, because mm-hmm. if you remember, Pushkin was supposed to be assassinated by Bond. But he wasn't really assassinated by Bond. So the gadget in that scene to us is the bulletproof vest. I mean, okay. Kevlar was invented in 1965. So, again, not too long before they do these movies. And the fake blood packets, I'm sorry, what would you say? 22 years. but Yeah, yeah. okay. And then the, the fake blood packets that Bond had to hit with real bullets to make it all seem real. Yeah. I mean... To me, I thought it was there were splibs in there, but you, you say it's it was um, that, that he actually had to shoot these things. But it was pretty cool. You had the theatrical blood and blood, you know, because you had to show that he got shot. And blood's been around for a long time in the movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hitchcock used Hershey's syrup in some scenes, right? In the <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. in the shower scene. Wouldn't be so, too good in color. Psycho. Yeah, it wouldn't, that wouldn't have worked in color. But it's been around for a long time. I mean, this guy, John Tynegate in England, and during the 60s and 70s, the 1960s and 1970s, he developed theatrical blood that was real, really good, lifelike-looking blood. Yeah, and it's, blood. <laughs> and it's still called Kensington Gore, which he punningly named after the location and street in London. Oh. So yes, on Kevlar, totally believe that, and yes, on the fake blood. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, on the fake blood. I don't think he had to hit Pushkin with the bullets right where the blood packets were. I think Pushkin maybe, you know, went like that, boom, with his arms and pushed them. You know how they used to do that. They used to, yeah. they release them themselves, I think. Okay. But anyway, it looked good. It looked great. And in the movie, when we're watching it, you're thinking, oh, my God, hey, he did. He shot him. Fantastic. I guess that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do. Yeah. Bye All bye, right. Pushkin. All, All right. right. So, so now let's move into one of Bond fan legionnaire status, Aston Martin cars. And here yeah. we get the Aston Martin Vantage 10. Nice. And now this car was, as usual, you know, equipped with all kinds of gadgets. Of course, exactly the gadgets that Bond needs for yeah. the mission. Yeah. But there's spikes for the tires to ride securely on ice and snow. There are missiles and there are lasers. I mean, the whole nine yards. This thing's tricked yeah, yeah. out. There you go. Now, the Bond cars, for the most part, are almost a gadget in and of themselves. It has gadgets, but the cars kind of become a gadget itself. Yeah. Except for probably the Citroën in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. <laughs> but so is it believable? Yeah. Could you have a car that would have, you know, spikes that go out and, you know, to give you security there and the missiles we've talked about in the past? The laser thing, we'll talk about that a little bit more. And, and they had more stuff, too. Yeah, like you said, the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards, I think that one of the ideas is that it, that phrase came from nine yards of uh, bullets that the gunners on, on airplanes would be shooting at another plane or whatever. They said, give them the whole nine yards. There was a nine-yard belt of, of bullets. I think that was one of the re one of the explanations of maybe that's where that whole nine yards thing came from. That That had to be heavy. <laughs> yeah, nine yards of bullets. All right. The next one's a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Banks used to use pneumatic tubes to allow paper, money, and whatnot to be sent from the automobile from the drive through lane to the building. In fact, they still use those things. Well, this next gadget uh, has that kind of feel, but on a much larger basis. I'm yeah, course, a little bit larger. <laughs> of course, talking about a big pneumatic tube. <laughs> the gas pipeline that was retrofitted to allow the transport of Koskov into Austria in a specially designed tube that will shoot through the pipeline. Okay. I mean, it is totally believable, Dan. I mean, you've got something where we've seen it done in a small scale. Yeah. This is just a bigger scale version of yeah, the pneumatic bigger, tube <laughs> at the back. it's cool. And our man Derek Lyons was the guy getting Koskoff out of the tube. And we had a fun episode talking to Derek. Derek's been in four different Bond movies, and he's been in all kinds of stuff, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade and Star Wars, all kinds of stuff. Great oh, and guy. he's a fun Take, guy. He's, he's a riot. Yeah. Take a listen to our Derek Lyons interview. Fun stuff. All right. Yeah. All right. So now, once again, I'm kind of feeling like I'm, getting, I'm talking about all the mundane stuff. <laughs> okay, so that tube thing is kind of mundane. But it's, used, like, but it's used like as a gadget and yeah. very nice and it's very believable. Yeah. Now, if that was mundane and believable, this next one we're going to talk about is just absolutely crazy. And okay. I'm talking about the laser used to cut the bottom of the patrol car. Okay. You remember yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he pushes the button <laughs> and the laser goes out from his Aston yeah. Martin a wheel cap, mm. right? So now this is a rather ridiculous implementation of a laser. And extremely unlikely, if not impossible, that yeah. would have cut the car body from its chassis. Especially yeah, I'm going with, with them the just, impossible. Yeah, especially <laughs> with them driving right next to each other like that. There wouldn't have been out of time. But hey, yeah. this but, is a Bond movie. 
So let's activate our willing suspension of disbelief once again. Yeah. Now this yeah. is a yeah. nutty use of for Theodore Maiman's invention. I mean, he, he's the guy who invented the laser. And if you remember, we do have a video on our YouTube channel, top 12 uses of lasers in spy movies. We have yeah, this fun. scene included in it. Yeah. So if you want to know more about spy movies and, you know, using lasers in spy movies, it's a fun video to get to. And this scene is in that video. Yeah. And actually this, this is a, it is ridiculous. Like you mentioned, it is impossible. This is one of my least favorite implementations of a Q gadget on a James Bond car. I mean, it's just silly. <laughs> like when in a view to a kill, the car Bond is driving is neatly cut into across its width. I mean, okay. Uh, that kind of stunt <laughs> stuff for gadgets. I'm not, I, I'm not good with it. So you're like, not willing, to, you're not willing to suspend disbelief. <laughs> Skip them. <laughs> All right. But, we're, but we've got to treat them during the dang movie. All right. So next up is the outrigger on the car. Now, that was a cool and believable gadget and probably possible. And as Q so often predicts a use for his gadgets, Bond needed this one on the ice and snow. So there you go. Q thinking ahead again. A perfectly Fantastic. bespoke car for exactly what he needs. Yeah, Amazing. and every spy, like we talked to Andrew Bustamante, an ex-spy for the CIA. Yeah, uh, yeah, you want to? You're, you're going to ship your specially designed car wherever you're going on your mission. <laughs> you, think, you think? No, we used to drive and beat up old cars so we'd fit in, and no one would notice <laughs> us. But okay, here we are. <laughs> yeah, but at least that gadget, I think, really felt believable to me. It's like, okay, I could see somebody doing that. Yeah. All right, but here, here's another one: the rocket motor on the car. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, we, hey, there's rocket motors, and we've had some little, we've had uh, tests on cars breaking land speeds and stuff with rocket motors and stuff. But a rocket motor on a car, all right, can you put a rocket motor on a car? Well, yeah, you probably can. We've seen them on these experimental but cars you? and stuff like that. <laughs> Again, like the water cannons shooting out water and thunderball and the pre-title sequences, Bonds is escaping from the chateau, uh, you know. You have to have a place to store all that water. And here, you got to have a place for the fuel that's going to fuel this rocket engine. So, uh, but it Come is Come on, cool. the, the rocket wasn't on for that long. It didn't need that much fuel. <laughs> it, it is cool. All right. Maybe it just needed that little burst. This isn't in space where you burst it once and you're floating forever. Yeah, you're on the ground. But anyway, it is cool. And we like it. And it's somewhat believable i mean <laughs> rocket propelled cars have been made so there you go and you can check it out if you want on youtube there are rocket propelled cars you could find so you, one one actually we saw that went over 600 miles an hour but it looks like the space shuttle really not an ordinary <laughs> car and bond driving around in a space shuttle thing would kind of be obvious i think <laughs> i would imagine uh, the steering that would be fairly tedious <laughs> yeah. 600 miles an hour in another attempt to answer this question, one expert said, if we could build the above rocket vehicle, the one we're talking about in this video that uh, we saw, if you could build the above rocket vehicle by bolting an F1 onto a 43,000 liter tanker truck, we could get a useful burn time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what we need in Bond's car. <laughs> okay, so that, that might be where they needed more fuel than that car would be able to hold. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. All right, so 
we we're, we're doing the crazy there and yeah. we're going to go back to mundane oh right? why another mundane but you're finding ex- a lot of extremely realistic thing for me it's okay. much more and pardon the pun grounded and I, i'm talking about the cello case oh, i right. get it now grounded. the case isn't really a gadget no but it's an ordinary item that was repurposed in real time to be a gadget of sorts for bond and Kara to escape because they used it as a sled. I thought that was ingenious. And to me, how a spy is going to adapt to his or her environment, take what's available, like we were talking yeah. earlier, yeah. and put it to really good use. And I think they did a really good job with this. I actually like that. I've heard some people cringe at that. I think that was brilliant. I, I don't mind it in the movie. I don't think it's a real gadget because a gadget is built for a purpose. And the purpose that was built for was to hold a cello. Yeah, of course, that, that reminds me of a cello joke. Oh, God. Uh, well, yeah. Well, uh, what does a cello and a lawsuit have in common? Huh? I Every, don't even know if I want to know the answer. Everyone is relieved when the case is closed. All right. There you go. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, God. Cello right, sounds actually, wonderful. I, like cello. I actually I like cello music. Anyway, all right. The cello case is closed. Let's move on to license the case. Okay, Dan, <laughs> that has to be actually both of those. The, the cello case was closed here. I mean, oh, come on. That That's has great. to be some of the lamest humor I've ever heard you try to use. Oh, my God. And you're going to use that lame humor. Yes. To end the Living Daylights discussion. Yeah, I okay. did already. <laughs> Over. So we're going to move on then to license to kill. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite non Connery or more Bond movies. Oh, yes. But this one has even fewer gadgets than The Living Daylights. So, yeah, not a lot of gadgets. So why don't you start this one off with a bang? <laughs> All right, you're talking about my jokes. We're going to talk about the dentonite toothpaste here. Okay, we'll start it off with a <laughs> bang. Okay, good, good, Tom. That's good. Brilliant. <laughs> the first gadget we're going to talk about in License to Kill is the dentonite toothpaste. All right, this was a handy gadget, along with the Lark cigarette fuses and detonator. Q is in the field and brings Bond a briefcase or a little suitcase full of gadgets to help him as he is officially rogue. So, okay, sure, why not? There's Q in the field, which I like. I love when Q goes to the field, like when he was in the field in Thunderball, and that's fantastic. I love it. Well, especially every time, every time Desmond Llewellyn came on screen, it made me smile. <laughs> Yeah, and especially him coming and helping out Bond, who's gone rogue. Yeah. Right? It just shows nobody in MI6 follows the rules, especially no. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to break the, the rules if you're in MI6, I think. You know, you're doing all <laughs> kinds of clandestine things that you don't want to tell anybody about. All right. Now, the first plastic explosive was really invented in 1975 by Alfred Noble, and the first patents were called nitroles. So in the world of plastic explosives, we can believe this. And yeah, Q does well here. And we remember Bond used it to blow out the secure window of Sanchez's office in Isthmus. So again, Q thinking ahead. And is it believable? Yeah, absolutely believable. Oh, no, I, no I, 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 yeah, I totally think this is a believable device. And it's a used, believable. A believable. A believable. Yeah, I totally believe this is a believable device. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things that yeah, that would be a good use for that technology yeah. or those technologies, right? The, the radio thing, the fuse that gets remotely accessed, and then the plastic. I mean, I just think that whole package was really good. 
All right. You got any other mundane stuff you want to bring up? Yeah, exactly. So you talked about a nice, fun gadget there. Let's go to a more mundane gadget. Oh, my God. Well, we're going to look at the repelling device concealed in Bond's Tux Cumberbund. Hey, those things come in handy. Now, if I tried to use something like this, the cummerbund would break, but that's a different <laughs> issue. All right. So we can remember that Bond uses it to repel down Sanchez's building yeah. in Isthmus so he can set up the explosives we just talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we've seen these type of piton devices before in movies like Diamonds Are Forever and Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they're yeah. really kind of an extension of the gun that Bond used in the pre-title sequence in Goldfinger. Yes, and you know, that say, gun yes. shoots that grappling hook up. Yep. And so he could climb up the building. Now, piton guns aren't flashy. They're a little mundane. But they're in the cool. movies, they're effective. Yeah, yeah. I like them, actually. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the camera signature gun, where Bond could assemble the parts of a camera and it became a gun. Kind of like, you know, assembling the parts of a cigarette lighter, a cufflink thing, and hey, all of a sudden, the man with the golden gun's got a gun. Here, he's going to assemble this camera paraphernalia, and it's going to become a gun. But it had a grip on it that read Bond's palm and or fingerprints, so that only he could fire the weapon. So that seems like, wow, initially you're thinking, that is a very, very cool concept. But really... It, to us, it seems like a little overkill here because to have that complicated a device is not so good. Why not the AR-7 collapsible rifle again? It appeared in From Russia with Love, and I think it was also in um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service in the glove compartment parts. And yeah, yeah. in reality, it, it was small caliber, the AR-7, but we can believe it could chamber large caliber rounds. Why not? This gadget is a bit over the top, but it is cool because it comes in pieces that look ordinary and blah, 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 and you can make a rifle out of it. Handy when you can when you need to conceal what you're about to do, like assassinate Sanchez. But, you know, in reality... Yeah, hang on a second. Now, I thought when we talked to Joe Papalardo about the viability of the palm grip reader... <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we talked about that in, the, in an earlier podcast episode with him, but... He was talking about how it really isn't that viable because you have to have your hand on it just right, and the technology, especially back then, wouldn't have worked the way they're trying to do it. Well, and I think his biggest point was you have to have clean hands. If you're fighting, you're well, in a fight, true. Yeah. You're, you're going around, you got grease on your hands and fingerprints and whatever, or anything else is on your hands that would disguise your palm print or fingerprint, you can't fire your own damn weapon. So he was thinking absolutely bad idea to have one of those yeah so. and they resurrected it in skyfall because yeah. purvis and wade don't have any good ideas when he's in the pit with the komodo <laughs> dragon yeah so he's did. got that and so yeah, you know yeah. sorry i have i have to bash them every time i can yeah the joe Papalardo you mentioned we've done a couple of podcast episodes with him he writes for smithsonian and other magazines too very very cool on on high-tech stuff and um, really, so all of that stuff we just mentioned, a good reason not to have that gun and have a regular gun for Cronella. All right. All right. So let's go back to lasers again. Yeah. Because I get to talk go. about it. Two... a mundane thing. All it's right. not mundane. I get to talk about it two movies in a row. Ooh. And this time it's that laser shooting Polaroid camera. Yeah. So it's okay. another camera weapon here. Yeah. And another laser. 
Yeah. We saw the laser for the first time in Goldfinger, pretty much the first time anybody had seen a laser. Yeah. Right. And and then we'll see it again in Goldeneye. We see it with the Omega Seamaster. That's a laser watch. 1995. Yeah. Yep. And um, we'll see it again in Die Another Day, which Be was used favorite. to cut through the ice outside of Graves Ice Palace. Yeah. So it's a gadget shown in the movie License to Kill here in 89, but it isn't used by Bond. Right. Part of the kit that the Q brought. Yeah. Also, Pam Bouvier is the one who uses it. Yeah. And so the picture gets instantly developed because it's a Polaroid. So even though yeah. it's shooting this laser thing, yeah. there were the, x-ray images of the subject. That I mean, part made no sense, did it? No, <laughs> this, is, this is why this is not a mundane gadget. It's yeah. a ridiculous gadget. It's a ridiculous gadget. All right. It was never really used. All it did was break the glass on a picture that was on the wall. But yeah, the skeletal part was like, you know, what are you showing an x-ray of these guys' skeleton for? It's ridiculous. And they weren't in the, they didn't get hit by the, the laser. Anyway, yeah, ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous right. and not viable, right? Right. I mean, there are today portable handheld x-ray cameras. So, I mean, not impossible, but it could take from 100 to 700 images on a single charge. But they don't look like a Polaroid camera or anything <laughs> that's small. And that's now. Yeah. In 2024. Yeah. They're, they're, they're probably about a foot big. And, you know, nothing like a Polaroid camera. But what the hell? When we talk about believability of these gadgets, this one this just one doesn't eight. do it for me. <laughs> no. Uh. All right. Another uh, gadget that Q brings, but is not used by Bond ever in the movie, is the alarm clock, which Q says guaranteed never to wake up anybody who uses it. Okay. Boom. All right. Right on time. Yeah, no, <laughs> that was a very clever line. For another mundane but effective gadget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, there you go. Now, what about the manta ray disguise? That oh, was gotta nice. have the manta ray disguise. Yeah, that was a good gadget, and it was used by Bond to make him look like a manta ray when he was trying to infiltrate Milton Crest's boat, the Wave Crest. This is obviously a believable gadget and a handy one for a mission like this. There are manta ray costumes in real life, and this one in the movie is not a stretch. So. It passes the believability test for sure, and it worked. What the heck? I don't know yeah. where he got it. But. Yeah, I, I, I think it's very <laughs> believable, like you say, where did it come from? Yeah. But it, when you first see it, it kind of looked a little goofy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it was definitely hey, it one of those stealthy things, and right. it worked. Yeah, there you go. All right, the next one is believable, and, but it doesn't seem necessary. Q's radio transmitter is disguised as a broom. <sighs> okay. That's believable. You had to bring that up. Well, I disguised it as a broom, though. My question was, okay, Q was sweeping the road and cleaning up the road, and it makes it look real, except for him talking into the middle of the broom handle <laughs> to alert Pam Bouvier as when Bond left Sanchez's estate. But other than that, you know, the best part of this scene, though, in the movie is first, it's great to see him supporting Bond, even when Bond is rogue, which we mentioned, and... Uh, Q in the field is great. But the best part is our recollection always of Q telling Bond to bring the gadgets back in one piece. And here, this is my favorite part of this scene. When Q is finished with it, he tosses it in the shrubbery. <laughs> God, I never put that together. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. 
I mean, because that, <laughs> that'll bring everything back and then he just tosses it. Yeah. That's good. Full circle. Boom. I like that. I like that. Okay. All right. So let's, let's move on. This one may not be a gadget per se. Okay. It's part of the set, but the mechanism that for the helicopter landing at Olympitech Meditation Institute. Oh, I mean, yeah. This place is a real place, but it's a fantastic bond location. And the landing mechanism here was really cool. It's, it's this gigantic mosaic looking symbol on the ground. Yeah. It opens up to let the helicopter land inside mm-hmm. and below the ground. And then it closes back up. Yeah. 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 I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of believable. This is a great bond set. It's really what a bond set should be. And I think it's really cool. Yeah, it actually, it makes sense because it makes things a bit clandestine when not in use, like the volcano and you only live twice. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty It's pretty much the same trick, yeah. just in a different setting. So it's gadgety. I like it. All right. What about the Stinger missiles? Are they gadgets or are they just like, hey, they're Stinger oh, missiles? Oh, come on, Dan. I mean, some might say a Stinger missile is a gadget, but no, nah. they're a okay. weapon. Right? All right. They're, they're stinger missiles fired like stinger missiles. They're doing exactly what everybody knows a stinger missile to be. I mean, if we call those gadgets, so is that machete Sanchez wants to kill Bond with. I mean, the cigarette lighter that was a wedding gift to Bond from Felix and Della. I mean, yeah, every gun ever used, every knife. No, nah. this, is a, this is a missile. It was designed to be a missile. It's not a gadgety thing. It's just reality. All right, I'll run with that. That's fine. That's good. All right. Everybody listening, erase those missile things out. <laughs> All right. So I think we've exhausted the gadgets from License to Kill here. Yeah. And when you look back, Timothy Dalton's James Bond didn't get very many gadgets to play with. Unfortunately for him, he got a few, and most of them were fairly mundane. Which you and, found. And you think about it, a lot of the gadgets aren't used by him. That's true. The broom thing was Q. Yeah. Pam Bouvier hits the, the Polaroid camera. Yeah. The milkman, right? Necros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. he doesn't even get to use the gadgets. Well, but, hey, they're not all cute inventions, I guess. Yeah. There well, you that's go. true. But you all know, right. I love my lasers and spy movies. But I think that my two favorite gadgets in the Dalton movies are the exploding milk bottles and the key ring. They're believable. They yeah. work really well. They're disguised things. Yeah. And I just think they're really, really well done. Yeah. I like that, and I like the uh, the Aston Martin too in uh, the Living Daylights. I think that's a pretty cool car. All right, it's time to put these gadgets back together again because we've ripped them apart completely. That's a wrap. This has been Dan and Tom of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Subscribe to our show in your favorite podcast app and to our YouTube channel too. Lots of fun stuff there. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you spending time with us. 